Well, good evening, everybody. Good evening. So glad to see you all tonight. If you would open up your Bibles to Matthew chapter 5. Matthew chapter 5. We'll get question and answer night underway momentarily by reading just a portion of Jesus' Sermon on the Mount in Matthew chapter 5. And as you're turning there, let me give just a quick synopsis of what's about to happen for the benefit of anybody who's never been here for Q&A night. Like most preachers, I get submitted questions quite quite routinely. I uh, get submitted questions from our own members here, from our kids here, from uh, folks even outside of this congregation. And at least once a month, I try to put some of those questions together. I've got a whole just pile of questions that I'm trying to work through. But I try to put at least a couple, two or three of those questions together and study through those things and try to then provide some Bible answers. And then I present all of that uh, in this forum that we just simply call Q&A. Now, those of you that are here regularly for Q&A night, you know that I usually do try to pack two or three questions together that have some kind of a, a common theme among them, some kind of continuity. However, tonight, really couldn't find any clever sort of way to stitch these two particular questions together, except for the fact that I was a little bit curious to see what kind of reaction I would get by putting the title, Swearing and Tattoos, out on the sign by the road. I, Gotten some comments about that the last few days, and that's okay. But those two things are the things that we have lined up for tonight, talking about those two subjects. And if there is one kind of thing that we can tie these questions together with, it's what Paul says in Romans chapter 4 and in verse 3, when he begins that verse by saying, What does the Scripture say? And that is the exact approach we're going to take tonight about these subjects. We're just going to ask that question. What does the Scripture say? We're going to examine these subjects, just as we do all of these questions for Q&A night, under the microscope of God's Word, and let's see what we can find out about them. Let's begin that with this first question this evening, which, actually when I got this question, it was very detailed and long in its wording, but I went back and I asked this person if I could just maybe shorten it down to where it'll on the screen because this was really just the basic part of their question. The question is, is it wrong to swear oaths? The New Testament has at least a couple of different places that discuss the idea of swearing oaths. And the first of those is found here in Matthew chapter 5 where I've asked you to open your Bibles. I might just clarify before I take another step forward that the kind of swearing that we're talking about tonight, maybe this will help our kids is not talking about using swear words. That word swear is kind of taking on a dual meaning in our day and time. We're not talking about swear words, cuss words, curse words. I hope all of us know already that that's wrong. That's always wrong. It's never going to be right. Filthy communication is clearly condemned in the Bible. Christians don't have any business doing that kind of swearing. The kind of swearing we're talking about tonight is the idea of making a special promise, taking a vow, swearing an oath to do something. That's what Jesus discusses here in Matthew chapter 5. Let's read the passage together. Matthew 5 verse 33. Jesus says, Again, you have heard that it was said to those of old, You shall not swear falsely, but you shall perform to the Lord what you have sworn. But I say to you, do not take an oath at all, either by heaven, for it is the throne of God, or by the earth, for it is His footstool. Or by Jerusalem, for it is the city of the great king. And do not take an oath by your head, for you cannot make one hair white or black. Let what you say be simply yes or no. Anything more than this comes from evil. 
Now, that particular teaching, it is repeated almost verbatim in James chapter 5 and in verse 12. I'm not going to take the time to read that, but I did want you to be aware of that and maybe to just make a note of that. But the question is, what do we make of Matthew 5 verses 33 through 37? Is Jesus saying that it is wrong to ever swear an oath of any kind? Well, there are some people, in fact, there are probably a lot lot of people who do take that position. That Matthew 5 is just an outright prohibition against any and all swearing of anything that we might term as an oath. And that is why, for example, that's why our court system... Uh, If you're called to maybe testify in a court proceeding, you'll be asked, do you solemnly swear or affirm to tell the truth, the whole truth and nothing but the truth? And that affirm business, that's kind of an out for Christians who have an issue of conscience with that, who say, you know, as a Christian, I just, I can't be swearing anything, but I can affirm that what I'm about to say is the truth. Now, I want to just say right here at the top, that this teaching from Matthew chapter 5, verses 33 through 37, it may just well be, Jesus is saying, don't do that ever. That may be what He is saying. Jesus may have in mind the idea of do not swear oaths of any kind under any circumstances. I want to concede that that is a very real possibility of what this passage means. However, having said that, when you begin to look at the Scriptures as a whole, There's a few things that, I don't know, at least for me, I feel like need to be taken into consideration here. First and foremost, have you ever noticed that there is just a whole lot of oath-taking throughout the pages of the Bible? Lots of people in the Bible are swearing oaths. For example, look with me in Genesis 21. In Genesis chapter 21, this kind of thing is all over the Old Testament. And I want to be clear that Just because we see a lot of oath-taking in the Bible, that doesn't necessarily make it right. I understand that. But it is interesting to note that some of the very most righteous people in all of Scripture, they swear oaths. In Genesis chapter 21, this is about Abraham. This is Abraham's encounter with King Abimelech. And notice what Abimelech says in Genesis 21 and in verse 23. Abimelech says, "...now therefore swear to me here by God..." You will not deal falsely with me or with my descendants or with my posterity, but as I have dealt kindly with you, so you will deal with me and with the land where you have sojourned. And Abraham said, verse 24, I will swear. Hmm, about that? I want you to know, that's not an isolated incident of that happening. Look in the book of Psalms with me in Psalm 15. In Psalm 15, here the psalmist He actually praises a particular kind of man who swears a particular kind of oath. In Psalm 15, the psalmist is describing the righteous man, the different qualities and characteristics of the righteous man. And he says the righteous man, Psalm 15 and verse 4, is the one in whose eyes a vile person is despised. The righteous man is the one who honors those who fear the Lord. And notice this. The righteous man is the one who swears to his own hurt and does not change. What about that? What about that? That's swearing there. You know, there are a number of occasions in Scripture where swearing takes place. We're not going to read all of them this evening. Think about Jacob. He made Esau to swear an oath. Joseph made his brothers swear an oath. Joseph even made his children swear that they would take his bones and take his remains into the promised land and bury him there. Jonathan made David swear an oath. The list just goes on. Lots of taking oaths throughout the pages of the Bible. And do you know who the primary oath taker is in the Bible? 
Lots of times, it's the Lord. God swears a lot of oaths in the Bible. Look with me in Genesis again, this time in Genesis 22. In Genesis chapter 22, you know this story well. God is talking with Abraham on the occasion in which Abraham was... He was willing to offer his son Isaac as a sacrifice. And so God then wants to say some things after he stops Abraham from doing that. In Genesis 22 and in verse 16, the Lord says, By myself I have sworn, declares the Lord, because you have done this and you have not withheld your son, your only son. And then he goes on to bestow all of the various blessings. The Lord swears an oath by himself to Abraham. And in fact, that particular oath, it's actually repeated a number of times throughout the rest of the Bible. You know, regularly the Israelites, they will say, we are doing such and such and we're doing it by the God who swore to us that He would bring us into the promised land. Exodus 13 verse 5 and other passages just like that. In fact, if you'll find the 110th Psalm now, look in Psalm 110 in our wisdom literature Bible reading plan. We actually just read Psalm 110 this past week. This is one of the most cited psalms in all of the New Testament because it is thoroughly messianic. It speaks about Jesus and how He is both King and the High Priest. And right in the middle of that psalm, in Psalm 110, look in verse 4, "...the Lord has sworn and will not change His mind. You are a priest forever after the order of Melchizedek." I want you to notice that this is not just an Old Testament thing. The idea of the Lord swearing oaths, that's repeated even in the New Testament. Would you look in Hebrews 6? In Hebrews 6, let's plug this one in here. In Hebrews chapter 6 and in verse 13, referencing the occasion in which God uh, swore that oath to Abraham, Hebrews chapter 6 verses 13 and 14, For when God made a promise to Abraham, since he had no one greater by whom to swear, he swore by himself, saying, Surely I will bless you and I will multiply you. Now, Taking all of those passages together, here's my question. If we had just read all of those verses, all those verses about notable people in the Bible who swore oaths, Abraham, Jacob, etc., etc., and if we read all of those verses about God swearing oaths, but we had never read that Matthew 5 passage before, what would you conclude about taking oaths? I'm really not sure that anybody would come away from reading those verses and would say, hmm, I better not swear an oath. That just seems like something I don't need to be doing. That just seems like something that's really, really wrong. I don't think anybody would come away from reading those verses thinking that. There is lots of oath swearing going on in the Bible. And in none of those passages that we just read, none of those passages talk about swearing of oaths in a negative sort of way. And so the question then comes, what do we make, as we turn back to Matthew chapter 5, What do we make of what Jesus says? When when we read His words there in Matthew 5, it seems as if Jesus is just saying, "Eh, y'all don't need to be doing that. Disciples don't need to be swearing oaths. That's wrong. That's not something you need to be doing. What do we make of that? Well, I think what we always want to do is we want to just set those words in their context. And when we do that, we're helped by getting a much clearer picture. Let's look again there at Matthew chapter 5. Look at how Jesus begins that. Matthew 5 verse 33 He says here, and he's actually citing several different Old Testament passages here when he makes this statement, Matthew 5, verse 33, You shall not swear falsely, you shall perform to the Lord what you have sworn. Then he gives some specific kinds of examples about don't be taking oaths. Verse 34, don't take an oath by heaven, because that's the throne of God. 
Verse 35, don't be taken oaths by the earth because that's God's footstool. Don't take an oath by Jerusalem because that is the city of the great king. Don't take even an oath by your head. What in the world is Jesus talking about here? What Jesus is talking about here is he's talking about the Pharisees. The Pharisees who had come up with a bunch of goofy rules about whenever an oath was binding and whenever an oath was not binding. And so, for example, if you swore by Jerusalem, eh, that didn't count. Your oath didn't count. Your word didn't count then. But if you swore toward Jerusalem, ah, then, then it counted. Then it absolutely counted. And as a result of that kind of parsing and nitpicking, Instead of oaths being something that made your word more sure, oaths were just a cause for for deceit and for trickery and for just a bunch of word games. Maybe the best parallel I can think of is, you remember whenever you were a kid and you would maybe say, hey, I'm going to do this, I'm going to do something, and then you didn't do it, and then somebody said, hey, I thought you said you were going to do that, and you say, oh, my fingers were crossed, I had my hand on my back, my fingers were crossed, I didn't have to do that. That's kind of what the Pharisees were doing here. And what Jesus says, He says, we can't be doing that kind of thing. That's not how disciples, that's not how people who are part of the kingdom of God, that's not how they live, that's not how they act, that's not how they conduct themselves. Genuine disciples are so honest, verse 37, that they don't need to prop up their word with, I swear to Jerusalem, or I swear by Jerusalem, or I swear on a stack of Bibles. No. Genuine disciples, they just tell the truth all the time. And so as I look at Matthew chapter 5, I really think the point of the command that's given here is that Christians Christians just don't need to swear. That Christians don't need to be playing those kinds of word games to try and create some kind of elaborate loophole so that I can get out of doing what I promised I would do. seems to me that Jesus is condemning that kind of fooling around where really we're just trying to trick people rather than him making some kind of blanket prohibition against any and all swearing of oaths. Now, I do want to just reiterate. I want to reiterate that this text may well be saying, it may just be saying, don't take oaths ever. I can see that Jesus may just be making that point. But I do think when we look at it in context, when we take all of what the Scripture says about this idea of swearing oaths, all the examples of that, I can't say that I'm fully persuaded to make the case in that direction. Because I don't believe in Matthew chapter 5, I don't believe Jesus has in mind, for example, a court of law where everybody has to affirm by this oath that they're telling the truth. When I look at Matthew chapter 5, I don't think Jesus is talking here about maybe someone who is elected as a public official and they have to be sworn in, they have to take an oath of office. And I don't even think Jesus has in mind here the idea of a man and a woman standing before an audience and making vows to one another, sacred promises to one another and to God. I'm not sure that Jesus is prescribing just a blanket prohibition against all of those sorts of things. I think what Jesus is doing though is He's just reinforcing the idea that Christians need to speak the truth. Our word just needs to be our bond. We shouldn't have to be employing more words to make our words sound more important and more truthful than they really are. If it is required of us, for example, in a court of law, then then maybe so be it. I believe the key idea from Matthew 5, 33-37 is that honesty and integrity is demanded of us in all that we say and in all that we do. I'll encourage you to study that further. You'll notice that 
really didn't give a very definitive yes or no answer to that particular question because I do believe at the end of the day there's going to have to be some judgment employed there. And if you study Matthew chapter 5 and you come to the conclusion that it is a prohibition against any and all oaths of any kind, then by all means, do not violate your conscience. But I'm content to just say this and to just leave it right here. And I would certainly welcome any kind of further comments or discussion or feedback about that that you might have. I would say this, though, before I leave this question. And I want to say this especially to our our kids and our little ones. Kids, let's be careful about saying those words, I swear. You hear that just an awful lot. I really just think that's just not a habit that we want to build into our lives. Certainly not at a young age. You know, that's the kind of thing that, if nothing else... If nothing else, it's probably going to hurt our influence. I remember when I was younger, I remember all of the kids who said, I swear this, or I swear that. Everything they said was always tempered with, I swear it, I swear it to be true. Those were the kids you couldn't trust anything that come out of their mouth. They were always telling lies. And so even though I'm not going to stand up here and going to say that it's a sin to say the words, I swear, I will say, let's just be careful. Let's be careful about the words that we use so that we don't mislead people, particularly as we are representing the Lord. We are representing Jesus Christ. You know, maybe at the end of the day, maybe really the safest thing for me to say about this whole business of swearing is, just don't do it. Just don't do that. Maybe that's really probably the best thing I could say to wrap all of this up, is that Christians, it's just not something we need to do. As the people of God, we don't need to have any kind of part of that hope that maybe gives you just some ideas and some things to, to chew on and to think about. Let's move on now to this second question. If you came tonight just to hear one of these two questions discussed, I'm guessing it's this second question. And it is one of the questions that gets asked of preachers and I don't know, just religious people with great regularity. And it gets asked in many different forms, but it just boils down to a very simple question as well. And that is, is it wrong to get a tattoo? Or to get tattoos. I do not think that it is any secret that tattoos have become very popular and they've become very prevalent in our society. Lots of people nowadays get tattoos. What used to be something that was reserved for military men and big old biker gang guys, now it seems to be something that is very widespread. I saw some figures. An estimated 45 million Americans have at least one Tattoo. Lots of people have tattoos. In fact, I'm kind of thinking about getting this right here tattooed right on my bicep. I saw that and I thought, man, that would look great right there. That would really send a message about how I feel about mowing yards. But in all seriousness, what does the Bible say about tattoos? Does it say anything about tattoos? Well, first of all, it does say some things about tattoos. And let's just start where many people want to start the tattoo discussion In Leviticus chapter 19, in Leviticus chapter 19, there Moses is giving the law, and part of the law that was given to the Israelites in Leviticus 19 and in verse 28 is this. Leviticus 19 verse 28, you shall not make any cuts on your body for the dead or tattoo yourselves. I am the Lord. That is the passage that I believe is probably used most often to say that the Bible just flat out prohibits tattoos for people living today. In fact, if you were to Google this particular question, go home tonight and just put that same question in your your web browser into Google. 
What you'll get is you'll get a lot of so-called Christian websites that'll stand right on this verse. They will hinge their entire argument on Leviticus 19, verse 28, and they will say, it is a sin to get a tattoo. What's the problem with that? I hope everybody here already understands what the problem with that is. The problem with Leviticus 19, verse 28, is that it is part of the law of Moses. That is part of the Old Covenant. We cannot use that verse to condemn tattoos on people's bodies today. In fact, just back up, just stay right here in this chapter, just back up to the verse in front of it. Leviticus 19, verse 27. You shall not round off the hair on your temples or mar the edges of your beard. What about that? If you're going to use Leviticus 19, 28 to say that you can't get a tattoo, then I guess we're going to have to use Leviticus 19, verse 27 to say that men can't cut their beards. And if we do that, it's going to start looking like Duck Dynasty in here in about five minutes, isn't it? But of course, we realize that passage, it comes from the old law. And we are no longer under or bound by the old law. Galatians 3, verses 24 and 25, amongst other passages, tell us that the old law, it did serve a purpose. It served as our tutor, as our guardian, until Christ came. But now that faith has come, we are no longer under a guardian. And I would remind you, if you're inclined to pull out Leviticus 19.28 and use that against the idea of tattoos, I would remind you that we are the very same folks who whenever somebody tries to crank instrumental music out of the Old Testament, because, you know, David had harps and they had instruments back then, and they try to incorporate that in the New Testament worship, what are we so quick to say about that? We are the ones who are quick to say, oh, hold on now, that's in the Old Testament. That's, we don't get our authority for matters of faith and practice. We don't get that from the Old Testament. We're under a new covenant, the New Testament. And I'm amazed at how quickly we often forget that principle whenever we talk about issues like this, like the tattoo issue. We are not under the old law. If you are using Leviticus 19, or excuse me, Leviticus 19 and verse 28 to say that it's a sin to have a tattoo, stop it. Stop it. Unless you're an Israelite and unless you lived, you know, a couple thousand years ago, you don't have any business saying that. There may be a principle you could pull out of there, but don't use that as a law that is binding today. Well, what about the other verse that gets used so often in this discussion? It's in 1 Corinthians, the 6th chapter, which you find in your New Testament in 1 Corinthians 6. At least appreciate folks understanding the Testaments, and we'll try to use a New Testament passage to make their point about this. 1 Corinthians 6 is the passage that I hear probably second most often as a condemnation against tattoos. Read with me in 1 Corinthians 6, verses 19 and 20. 1 Corinthians 6, 19 and 20, Paul says, Do you not know? That your body is a temple of the Holy Spirit within you, whom you have from God. You are not your own, for you were bought with a price. So glorify God in your body. So there's some discussion here about not dishonoring your body. But what we need to see as we look at 1 Corinthians chapter 6 is that contextually, these verses are not talking about decorating your body. These verses are talking about using your body for fornication, for sexual immorality. Again, just back up a couple of verses. Back up to, back up to verse 15. Do you not know that your bodies are members of Christ? Shall I then take members of Christ and make them members of a prostitute? Never. Paul then goes on to say, verse 18, flee sexual immorality. You need to stay away from fornication and sexually immoral behavior. Don't use your bodies in that way. 
This passage is not talking about what you put on your body. It's about what you do with your body. In fact, if we're going to try to say that we're not allowed to decorate our bodies with ink, then the next logical question is, well, what else can you not decorate your body with? What about, what about cosmetics? I noticed some ladies today wearing a little bit of makeup. What about makeup? Ladies not allowed to wear makeup? What about jewelry? Decorating our bodies with jewelry. This evening, I'm, I'm wearing some jewelry. I've got a wedding ring right here on my hand. Got a watch as well. You can count that as well. What about that? What about that? What about all of these different kinds of questions we can ask? Where does it end? Well, of course, you know exactly where it ends. It ends where everybody wants it to end, and that is with their own personal standard, because the Bible doesn't say anything about that. The Bible does not forbid, and I'll just say this very bluntly, The Bible does not forbid blanketly the decoration of the body, whether that be with clothes or with a hat or with jewelry or even with your hair or even this evening, even with a tattoo. In fact, if you start poking around in your Bible and you start looking for some of this tattoo kind of talk, look in Isaiah chapter 44, there's actually a couple of places in the Old Testament where one might even argue that the Lord maybe doesn't really seem to mind tattoos. There's some figurative language that's used here in Isaiah chapter 44. But you know what? If somebody wants to talk about how wrong it is to write on your body with ink, they need to get a load of Isaiah 44. Look in Isaiah 44. This is verse number 5. In Isaiah 44 and in verse 5, this one will say, I am the Lord's, and another will call on the name of Jacob, and another will write on his hand... The Lord's. Write on His hand, the Lord's. And name Himself by the name of Israel. What about that? That's a tattoo. And in this context, it's actually talked about in a good sort of way. It's commended. Would you turn over just a couple of pages to Isaiah 49? In Isaiah 49, here's a little bit different kind of a tattoo because this is actually a divine tattoo. In Isaiah 49, again, there's some figurative language used here, but look at Isaiah 49, verse 16. This is the Lord speaking. He says, Behold, I have engraved you on the palms of my hands. Your walls are continually before me. Now, I'm certainly not trying to argue that God has a literal tattoo. God, of course, is a spirit being. But it's hard to argue from those couple of passages there that God just is repulsed by tattoos and He just finds all tattoos unacceptable. In fact, if you'll jump ahead in your Bibles to the book of Ezekiel, in Ezekiel 16, Isaiah, Jeremiah, Ezekiel, in Ezekiel 16, you'll notice there that if you want to talk about decorating the body, the Lord doesn't mind decorating the body. Here in Ezekiel 16, the Lord speaks of Israel. And as He talks about Israel as His bride and how He has adorned her, He says in verse 10, Ezekiel 16 and in verse 10, He says, I clothed you also with embroidered cloth, and I shod you with fine leather. I wrapped you in fine linen and covered you with silk. I adorned you with ornaments. I put bracelets on your wrist. I put a chain on your neck. Oh, this is just a a beautiful picture here, isn't it? The beautiful bride of, of God. This wonderful, beautiful bride being adorned in all these ways. Then verse 12. Then I put a ring in your nose and earrings in your ears and a beautiful crown on your head. What about that? I know people that would be more uncomfortable with the nose ring than they would be with the tattoos. The Lord uses the idea of a nose ring to illustrate His love for Israel. 
You know, I look at these passages and it is very, very difficult for me to make the case that decorating the body is wrong in light of the lack of biblical admonitions in the New Testament not to do so and in light of this figurative language that we see here in Isaiah and in Ezekiel and other places that it's actually looked at as a proper thing to do so, a a personal kind of thing to do so. It's actually a positive thing. Now with all of that said and all of that just being laid out, can I maybe just then throw at you maybe a couple of applications, a couple things to think about? This is really kind of where the rubber's meeting the road as we think about tattoos. Let me just start, first of all, by saying something to our young people. In fact, question about tattoos, it came from our young people. Young people, this very first thing is for you, and it starts right with this. First and foremost, you need to remember that disobeying your parents is wrong. Teenagers, if your mom and your dad, if they say, while you're living in this house... There will be no tattoos. Do you know what that means? That means while you're living in this house, there will be no tattoos. That's exactly what that means. And why is that? Because children are to obey their parents. Ephesians 6 and in verse 1. Don't be doing something that's going to defy the authority of your mom and your dad. And I think it's important to note, secondly, that just because you can do something that doesn't necessarily mean that it's wise to do something. I see these girls and I see these fellas all the time who've got just these you know, monster tattoos. They call them sleeves. These monster tattoos all up and down their arms. And you've seen these before. man who's maybe got a tattoo who maybe when he was you know, 18 years old, maybe he was in the military and he had to get a tattoo. And then he gets older and now he's like you know, 75 years old. Do you know what those tattoos look like over time? They start to look like just a big, bluey, blurry blob. You know, if you get a tattoo now, or you get a whole bunch of tattoos, what do you think that's going to look like one of these days? You know, just because God does not expressly forbid it, that doesn't necessarily mean that one of these days you want to have an armful of bluey blobs. We need to think about that. We need to think carefully. We need to exercise some wisdom before we go putting things on our body that are going to be there for the rest of our lives. You know, maybe the most important thing that ought to be asked in this whole tattoo discussion is I need to be asking myself, just, why do I want to do that? What's my motivation here? I hear a lot of young people, they talk about how they want a tattoo. Okay, why? Why do you want a tattoo? What's the reason for that? Now, I realize, I'm not asking, you don't need to necessarily answer that to me or answer that to anybody else. That's actually something between you and the Lord. But that's something you need to think about. What's my motivation in all of this? Some tattoos, some, not all, but some are put on people's bodies in order to show rebellion to authority, maybe to their parents, or maybe just to, you know, the man, the government in particular. You know the kinds of things I'm talking about. People get tattoos of men get tattoos of big naked women right there on their arms, or get vulgar words or vulgar sayings written right there on their body in some way. What are those tattoos there for? Those tattoos are there to say, I'm tough. I'm t- Nobody can tell me what to do. Hey, look at all my tattoos. I'm b- b- bad to the bone. Oh, yeah, I'm, I'm the man. Hey, can I just ask you, boy, girl, doesn't, mean, doesn't, doesn't matter which gender you are. Is that the way a Christian wants to act? Is that the way a Christian wants to look? Is that the way a Christian wants to project themselves to the world around them? Is that really letting our light shine for Jesus Christ? You know, look at me, I'm in rebellion to authority. I'll beat you up. 
that really the way we as Christians ought to be living our lives? You know, if a bunch of wild pagan people, maybe a big group of you know pagan, just worldly kind of people, if they get some kind of a tattoo, do I want to look like them? Do I really want to act like them, be presented like them? You know, whatever happened, I preached on this a couple of weeks ago, whatever happened to being unstained from the world, James 1 verse 27. I need to be very, very clear. Not all tattoos are of that rebellious persuasion. I actually have a friend, a brother in Christ. Who he has a tattoo on his hand, he has a tattoo of 2 Timothy chapter 1, verses 7 and 8, just the scripture reference. And he has that on his hand as a daily reminder to him to not be overcome with the spirit of fear and to not be ashamed of the gospel of Jesus Christ. Instead, to fan the flame. And when he meets people who are not Christians, that encourages him. I don't need to be afraid. I need to share the gospel with people. It's kind of hard for me to say that his motivations were wrong in getting a tattoo like that. But I have seen tattoos, and you've seen tattoos. Or ladies, maybe they get a tattoo to make themselves look more provocative in some way, to look more sexually appealing to the opposite sex, to maybe show off or to draw attention to to a particular part of their body that mm, we don't need to be displaying, we don't need to be drawing attention to. Ladies, you get a tattoo... And it's drawing a man's eyes to a part of your physical body and it's causing him to lust? Can you really say that you're letting the light of Jesus Christ shine in your life? I think it would be awfully tough to say that. We need to give careful consideration to why. Why do I want to get a tattoo? And then let me say a word maybe now to everybody else in the room. Everybody who's on the other side of the equation. Let me say... That just because I find something distasteful, that alone does not make it sinful. That doesn't make it wrong. You know, my style and my taste is not the standard. I'm guessing there's probably a lot of people that are happy that my style and my taste is not the standard. If we did, we'd all have to wear sunglasses because we'd all just be shining and we'd be, you know, making everybody go blind by that. But you know what? That's true of all of us. My style, my particular taste, that is not the standard for anybody. You know, just because I may not personally care for tattoos, just because I wouldn't do that, that doesn't make it wrong. That's not the standard. And I'll tell you what I found. I found that one of the real signs of spiritual maturity is when we get to a point where we're able to understand the difference there. But you know what? That's not for me. I wouldn't do that. I don't, I don't want to do that. But you know what? If you want to do that, if you're comfortable with that, if you're okay with doing that, then you know what? I'm going to leave that to you. I'm going to leave that to you. You make that decision for yourself. Romans chapter 14 describes those very same kinds of matters like that. Matters of indifference. Matters where the Lord has not spoken explicitly on. Matters that doesn't bring us closer to the Lord and it doesn't push us and drive us further away from the Lord. And so... I'm going to come to a point in my spiritual development where I'm able to say, you know what? I'm going to just leave that to your personal conviction. I hope that if I show up to worship one day and I've got my big mowing, anti-mowing tattoo on my bicep, I hope nobody's going to think that I'm somehow less of a Christian for getting that. And I promise that I will not think that you are less of a Christian because you have a tattoo or because you choose not to get a tattoo. Each to his own conscience on this particular matter. Let me say just one more thing about tattoos. And this may surprise some of you. You may not think that I would say this. But you know what? I sure wish we saw more tattoos in church. You understand what I mean by that? 
I'm not talking about I wish everybody would go out and get a tattoo. I mean, I just wish that there were people in the world who do have tattoos, who maybe for whatever reason, they don't feel comfortable in a place like this. Maybe they feel all the eyes looking at them. And we start doing that judgmental sort of thing, and we just think, oh, he's not worthy of the gospel. He wouldn't care about the gospel. Why is he here? You know what? we got to stop that. we got to stop that. The guy who's coming to hold our gospel meeting in October, Brother Gary Sandusky. You'd have met Gary Sandusky when he was younger. Gary was one of those kind of guys. I don't know if Gary's got any tattoos, but he lived a pretty rough life. And he's the kind of person where if you just looked at him, he was like, oh... That guy will never amount to anything. He'll never be a Christian. He's never going to care about the Lord. Listen up, folks. The gospel, it's for everybody. It's for those of us that don't have any tattoos. And you know what? The gospel is even for those folks who do look a little rough around the edges and who do have tattoos. And I should hope and I would pray that we would develop the kind of attitude and the spirit here within this congregation and just personally and individually where we're going to be inviting and we're going to be welcoming to folks like that they can come to know the Lord and they can know the blessings of what it means to be a Christian. And with that said, I'll bring Q&A night to a close for the month of August. I appreciate your good attention today. It's been a good day of worship here at Lakeside and just no place I'd rather be. You know, we enjoyed our vacation last week, but you'll notice, some of you I guess noticed, we weren't able to stay away both times on Sunday. We had to get back here for Sunday night. And this is where we love being and just enjoy getting to be with this good group of people uh, week after week. If you're using a songbook, be getting it out and turning it to the song that's been selected. We're going to sing that song of invitation, number 311, in just a moment. I thought about that verse that we read a few moments ago from Isaiah 44 and in verse 5, talking about that, ta- that tattoo there. The one who will write on his hand, the Lord's. Well, that's a tattoo, metaphorically speaking. That's a tattoo that all of us ought to want to have. That I am the Lord's. I belong to Jesus Christ. I belong to Him. I have given myself to Him fully. I have surrendered all to serve the Lord of Lords and the King of Kings. That's what the invitation right now is all about. That if you're not serving the Lord of Lords and the King of Kings, it's your opportunity to start doing just that. To become the Lord's and to make that a very real part of your life. If you've never been baptized in water for the remission of your sins, this evening we are inviting you to do just that. If you're a Christian and you're away from the Lord, and you need the prayers of the saints and the encouragement of your brothers and sisters in here, this invitation is for you as well. If you maybe just are struggling with some stuff in your life, it's maybe not even necessarily an issue of sin, it's just you just need folks to pray for you. You just want to make some things known. This is an opportunity to do just that as well. We're here for you and we love you and we care about you. and We want to be of service, be of service to you in any way that we can. We're going to stand right now and we're going to sing this song. If anybody needs to respond to the gospel call, would you do that right now? Do that while we stand and while we sing.